Hi everyone! Welcome to the Curiously Creative Podcast. Curiously Creative loves creativity and inspiring people to follow their own creative curiosities. We hope to bring you a bit of joy and inspiration with everything we do so that you can fall in love with creativity too. I'm your host, Akriti Lee, and each month I share conversations with all kinds of creative people who share their journeys and unique perspectives around their own creativity. We hope these conversations help us understand our own creative process and have the courage to live more creative lives. Today, I'm incredibly excited and grateful to be presenting the very inspiring, hilarious and badass Sylvia Sykes. Sylvia Sykes is a swing dancer, instructor, judge and choreographer. She is one of the most widely recognized and respected swing dance instructors in the world, a member of the National Swing Dance Hall of Fame and co-founder of the International Lindy Hop Championships. Sylvia has been dancing since 1966, competing and teaching since the 70s and has won many awards in that time. Having studied with many of the dance greats like Frankie Manning, Dean Collins and Maxie Dorf, Sylvia's unparalleled expertise and passion for the dance has made her a celebrated international instructor and the most sought-after head judge for competitions. So firstly, I'll start with saying thank you. You're it's welcome. It's been such a busy schedule and to find this moment on your bed. Yeah, sorry. Um, it's best we can. To do it and make this work while you, we have you in New sure. Zealand is amazing. So the first question, I guess, would be to really know how did it all first start out for you? Have you always known what you wanted to pursue in terms of your work as well as pursue teaching? No, I have no idea what I was going to do. I was, um, I've always liked dancing. I just thought dancing was fun, but it was just a fun thing. I went to university. I was in graduate school uh, not having anything to do with dancing. I was working on my PhD. Uh, in philosophy, and my there was a confluence of events that happened. My best friend uh, was killed in an accident. My major professor died, and I was running out of money, and I got really depressed. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was really struggling uh, at that point with, with continuing in school. So uh, my dad just said, you know, just stop. Just you, know, you can go back when it's time to go back, but you don't have to power through. So... I stopped and I just got a job because I needed to eat. So I got a job working for a social service organization, mm -hmm. doing non-direct service stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did that for about four years and I just couldn't, I didn't want to do that forever. But I was able to save up enough money to be able to take nine months off. So I figured I'll just take some time off, try to figure out if I wanted to go back to school or whether what I might want to do for the next stage of my life. And my uh, old dance partner from high school was my original dance partner, Jonathan, and I we used to dance at high school together. We didn't live in the same town, but we, we still like dance. He was a kindergarten teacher, and he actually had a sabbatical year mm -hmm. at the same time I was taking the time off. So we decided at that point to go see if we could find all the, you know, quote-unquote, old guys, uh, see if any of the old people would teach us stuff. You know, we just it would be like the last hurrah before we had to hang up our dance shoes and become full-fledged adults, you know? So at this point, you were already in the dancing. Well, it, there was no dancing in okay. the way that you guys think of there is. I see. This, is yeah, yeah. this would be uh, late 70s, early 80s. This was way before any of the revival stuff happened. Right, right. Way before. But uh, we'd always, uh, backing up a bit, when we were in high school, uh, we lived about 40 miles, so that'd be about, I don't know, 60 kilometers apart, something like that, 60, 70 kilometers apart. Um, but we both liked dancing, and there were some teenage dance shows on TV, you know, locally. So we'd, we'd like going to teenage dance shows, and, and on Saturdays we would go to dance. But we both really kind of thought the old stuff from the movies was really cool. So we would watch old movies on television in case they had dancing. And so we would, like get very excited we'd watch an old movie there was no dancing in it and the next time we'd watch it we'd go okay like 45 minutes into it after this scene there's the dance scene it would be like two minutes long and um he would be watching it in his house i'd be watching it in my house at three in the morning and we like take notes and then next time we saw each other we tried to see if we could figure out what the heck was going on um but you can imagine if you watch tells a poppin once yeah and then watched it again a year later it would be a long slog to get anywhere so we just really thought it was cool stuff. We just wanted to do it. Not for a living, just it was something that just gave me joy. 
So <clears throat> whenever a big band would play in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. I'd get my, if it was before I was able to drive, my mom would drive us down to the, to the Hollywood Palladium or whatever big ballroom it was, and we would go to the dance. And we would not dance very well at all, but we would just watch all the old people dance and kind of get inspired, trying to get inspired from it. So this was when we were in high school. Right. So now, moving on, you know, moving on. I guess let me see. I was about maybe I don't know in my twenties when I was taking this uh, time off. We just thought, well, we'll just see if we can like find some old people to teach us dancing stuff. So we would like just started like trying to go find old guys, old people to dance. Um, How did you find them? Because there's no Google back then, right? <laughs> there was no email back then. No email back then. There was then. no like interwebs. Back no. Back then. Yeah, no. Uh, there was no even you know um, recording devices for home. I mean the first VCR that I got so that we could record something off of television and rewind it and play it three or four times was like 80, 81 or something like that. So yeah. this was, yeah. So anyway, so we, well, we would go to these ballrooms, you know, to the to the dances. We actually went to New York. We didn't end up finding Frankie and those guys, which we, Frankie Manning, some of the old original Lindy Hoppers. Uh, we found a bunch of Puerto Rican queens who were doing hustle, so <laughs> But anyway, we did end up finding, uh, we were at a dance at some club, just a, it was kind of like a 50s, a 50s club. Yeah. So we were at the dance, and they had a dance contest, so we joined it, and we won that week's. And so this was down in Los Angeles, so they had had 10 weeks of contests, and so the big finals was everybody who won a weekly contest were coming back together the next week. So we came down, and there was one couple who had obviously knew old people or had seen old people or they they had done a lot of so you it was obviously they knew way more than we did and they won so i said like this is awesome like where did you learn this where can we hang out where can we see this and this lady her name was shirley feetsum she's dead now but she said well there's this old guy who used to be in the movies and and he's teaching classes so she gave me dean collins's phone number i didn't realize that this was one of the people i had watched in the films for all those years so we just called him up and he said, sure, come on over. And we were like, well, this is awesome. So uh, we started taking a weekly lesson with him. And then he started taking us out. They had a dance in Los Angeles, different places, once a week, where all the old dancers who were still out dancing would go for the Lindy Hoppers or the Balboa people would be Bobby McGee's and those kind of places. Mm-hmm. So we would t- take a lesson with him on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. And then on Sundays we would go down and there was a dance that went from like one in the afternoon to about six at night and another dance that went from like seven to midnight. And then we would drive back to Santa Barbara, which was like a two, two and a half hour drive wow. each way because, yeah. well, we were thrilled because it was compared to the old days. It was the fun, fun new days where there was all this great information. We were like in heaven. We thought this is easy, you know. You know, just have to watch a movie once a year, you know. And at that point when you first started learning with Dean Collins, you did know he was one of I didn't know it until I walked in to meet him. I see. I didn't know that Dean Collins was that guy I used to watch in the movies. So we were sitting there. That's basically what happened. I was sitting there, and uh, and he had all these 8x10 glossies on the wall of of different movies and stuff. And he said, so uh, why are you with me? I said, well... This lady named Shirley, I met her, and she looked good, and I kind of want to learn how to dance like that. We just really love this stuff. He goes, well, like what kind of stuff? And I said, well, we've been watching movies, but we can't learn it very well. And he said, like what? And I go, well, like this. I pointed to Buck Privates. It was a still a Buck. I said, like Buck Privates. He goes, good, because that's me. And that's when I almost wet my pants. I was like, holy moly. <laughs> so, so, so at that point, uh, so we started taking lessons. So we, we really enjoyed the dancing. And... People were asking us back in, in Santa Barbara, people were asking us to, um, well, can you show me this? Can you do this? So we were teaching like little classes. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just teaching classes to help people learn it with us so yeah. we could have other people to dance with. Okay. It wasn't so much um, trying to make a living out of it or anything like that. It was just trying to have enough that we could have a dance or, you know. Yeah. And just so. people are part of it. Correct. Yeah. You know. And so. um it took us about three years of, of doing that before we were able to kind of make a living on it. But uh, Jonathan's family had a store that sold fireplaces and wood stoves. Mm. So they let us work there for a couple of days a week. Well, 
you know, until we could get the classes going enough. And then the point of the classes at first wasn't so that we could make a living at mm-hmm. it. And the point of the classes was to make enough money we could still keep taking lessons from the old guys. Right. It was a, a, a means to an end of learning more for us. So it wasn't like the transition was, oh, my God, this is what I want to do. No, I just wanted to dance, but I didn't. I thought, I'm going to ride this as long as I can, and when I have to get another job, I will, but I'll still have this as part of my life. Okay. And then there wasn't um, the way that for anybody just Lindy Hopper Balboa or the, any swing dancing, mm-hmm. uh, swing or dancing, none of that existed. That, that did not yeah. exist whatsoever back then. So we ended up with a fairly big scene in Santa Barbara, the town we lived in, in the early 80s, uh, which was way before the, the quote-unquote revival Bible. of Lindy Hop, yeah. which happened in the late 90s. So we were like 15, 20 years before everything. Uh, so we had a really, and there's just people had a fun. We just had fun doing it, you know. And we were able to kind of limp along on it. We weren't making a lot of money, but that was it. But it, I just figured it was going to be, for a couple of years, it would, I, we were just going to do it until we couldn't afford to do it anymore, and then I would have gotten some kind of job and figured something out. Mm-hmm. And it's just that I haven't had to figure it out yet, so it's still going. I'm still riding that wave 35 years later. So it's not that I made the decision of, I'm going to be a dance teacher. I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. There's a lot of people now in the last 15, 20 years who can decide, oh, I like this thing. I can get good enough, and I think what I want to do is be an international dance teacher and tour the world and do this stuff. Mm-hmm. That wasn't, it didn't exist when I was starting out. It was just um, a means to an end uh, for learning how to dance better. And then I just kind of kept doing that, and then I looked around and went like, wow, I've been doing this for 10 years. I guess maybe I can do this for a little bit longer, and then 15 years, and then... 30 years and you know so it's kind of just uh the whole uh community of the community and the business has grown up around me i didn't create the business the business grew up around me and i so i kind of got grandfathered into it as people come into it i didn't have to claw my way into it i was part of it when you showed up so you kind of had to take me and i'm happy about that so but it was also something that you wanted to be a part of. So oh, I, I wanted to dance. Shot. I really wanted yeah. to dance. And both uh, Jonathan and I are really good teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I was probably going to be a teacher no matter what. I teach something. I may not have been dancing. Right. Oh, interesting. Um, so in terms of teaching, say, as a formal discipline or uh, profession, so to speak, was there any point where you like, I really want to focus on my teaching? Uh, I just knew that I, I liked teaching and I was pretty good at it. Right. Um, while I was in uh, undergraduate, uh, my a little bit side here, mm-hmm. my uh, father made me take apart the family car's engine and put it back together before I could get my driver's license. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so my family, this was an internal, com- this is a long time ago, so it was like no computers in the cars. It was like yeah. simple engine, so it's not like I didn't know anything about cars now. But... Um, so my chores for the family was to keep the cars running, to do all the periodic maintenance, change the oil and lube them and points and plugs and all that stuff. So um, I knew how to do that. So when I was in university, they were looking around for a female who could teach auto mechanics so that females would feel comfortable taking the class. And I would think I was like the only one who knew how. So I said, sure, I'll do that. So I ended up teaching auto mechanics for three years. I had females and males on the class. I said, anybody who was interested can take the class. So I taught like how to how an internal combustion engine works and how an automatic transmission and a manual transmission and mm-hmm. a differential, how all those things work. And we also did, you'd bring your car and we'd learn how to do the periodic maintenance on your car. You know, you lube it, you oil it, you That's do all right. that stuff. So, um, and I found that even though I wasn't the, I wasn't super smart about the subject, I knew enough that I could learn enough ahead of the students. And then I found out that I was a really good teacher because people got it. You know, I mean, I was able to get the information across. I found that when I start from a place of not knowing Mm -hmm. and then I go to a place of understanding, that I can help people go that same path or at least understand what it's like not to know. That's right. And remember what it's like not to know so I can kind of help people uh, go from not knowing to knowing, saying, like, this is the path I took Mm-hmm. There's many other paths, but this is you can use my path if you want to. Because um, that process of deconstructing right. what you are going through. Right, and part of that was 
honed when we were watching those old movies mm. when I was in high school, watching something and then trying to break down what it was when you only see it once. Yeah. So we had to kind of come up with ways of, of seeing something and then trying to, I mean, not saying it was perfect, but it, it was, it's a skill that I learned over the time. So learning how to go from not knowing to knowing um, was a skill that we had honed over the years, mm. whether well, it didn't, didn't matter what the subject was. And sometimes it can almost be an advantage when you don't know a heck of a lot about a subject and you're put in a position of teaching it. Yeah, so you got to figure it out. Yeah. yeah, because that process of learning it for yourself is still raw enough for you to translate right. to your students. And I was um, always uh, very honest about what I know and how long I've known it. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not like, yeah. oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, not pretending. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, when we were teaching, uh, when Jonathan and I started teaching Balboa, which was a really esoteric dance at the time, mm -hmm. uh, we just told the students, we're not really good at this, but this is what we know now. Mm -hmm. And as we get better at it, we'll tell you differently. So yeah. this is the best we have now, and we'll change our, we'll, as we understand it better, we'll, we'll share that information with you. Yes. And people were fine with that. You know, if when That's you right. try to come off as an authority, then you're ridiculous. So we, we have never put ourselves as an authority. It's just, this is just what I know. And as I, if I learn something better, I'll share that with you, whether it's teaching on mechanics or dancing or any other thing. That will lead into one of the questions sure. really well in the sense that I'd love to know how you describe your approach to teaching. It kind of depends on what it is. Yes, so what I try to do is uh, see where the group or the person is, like what where their understanding is mm. and where their misinformation is or where the parts the, the holes in their in their knowledge mm -hmm. or their misinformation is so we want to start from what they know mm -hmm. and then I try to build on that and I try to take it in a position of um, it also depends on what it is their goal in learning is mm -hmm. uh, sometimes people are just it just sounds fun they like a little bit more information sometimes they want to get really good at something so, so the person's goals uh, should be, t I take them into to account as to how I'm going to structure a class or how I'm going to structure what I do. If someone wants to be a prof uh, professional dancer, I'm going mm -hmm. to approach it differently than I want to have fun. On, I've, I've never danced before. I want to have fun in an hour at the dance. You know, so it's going to be a different, I'm going to be less technical or more technical or give people the, the gross idea of how to have fun, not hurt each other. The intention of the learning experience. Right, you know, and, and it's, 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 do I have this person for an hour or do I have this person once a week for, for you know, six months? Yeah. So it's going to be different. Especially if you want them to understand them rather than just have the information and not know what to do with it. Right, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, if, if it's... If it's one of those drop-in, like if you're teaching in a bar and uh, you just, you know, somebody comes in, yeah. you just have a class, you're going to see them just for one hour and then a band's going to play. You're just trying to make it so they don't hurt each other and they can yeah. kind of have a good time, time. which right. is going to be really yeah. different than if I'm going to try to actually teach them how to do something with a skill involved. Right. Yeah, right. so it kind of depends on the group, if that makes sense. The other thing that I try to do is not have my goals be their goals because my goals are always going to be my goals, not necessarily their goals. So I used to think, my God, this is so important, this one little piece of information. If they could just get this one piece of information, they would be happier. They would understand it better. So I would, like, push and push and try to explain it 47 different ways. And they're, and they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it that day, you know. And... I when I gave up having what I wanted them to understand as be my goal, my goal now is send whoever I'm teaching home happy that they spent the time, the energy, and the money to be there. Mm -hmm. If they go home satisfied that their choice of showing up was a good one, they'll come back. If they come back, they'll eventually learn what they need to learn for whatever that is. Because if their experience is rewarding in the first go, then there is incentive to keep right. learning more. I mean, yeah. why would you go if someone yeah. berates you and goes, you know, you can't dance for shit and blah, 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 you got to understand this no. thing. And they're like, no. no. I mean, it should be fun. But it's also, everybody comes to a class. I mean, we're talking about dancing because that's what I'm doing now for yeah. a living. But people come to a class with a different, um, a different goal. 
there's uh, like 20 people in the class, you're going to have 20 different goals. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's just, I'm new in town, I want to be around human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just got divorced, I'm feeling really low self-esteem about myself. Um, I, you know, whatever. You know, I really want to learn how to do this thing I saw my friend do. So we all have different goals in mind. So mm-hmm. the person who walks into my class, their goal is their goal, and I try to support their goal, not my goal. So my goal has become support their goal, not superimpose something upon them. And how do you extract, I guess, what that person's and individual's yeah, goal is? It kind of depends. I mean, yeah. yeah that's, that's the challenging part. It right? is. You know, yeah. and so, like, you know, watching, a, if you say, okay, let's all do this, this little movement, you can kind of see who's really excited about breaking down or they ask a question that's technical like how do I get my my center to go over here what do you mean by center there's going to be verses like what count as my foot do I start with this side or this other side do I start with my left side or my right side really different um, it's kind of like how technical or how kind of like how small the detail is that they're looking at some people's the detail is the gross is it red is it green and some people are you know what's this pixel like yeah. And so it kind of you can kind of hone in on that one. Gotcha. And generally, teaching dancing is going to be a little bit different experience than if I was teaching a technical skill, if I was teaching surgery. It would be yeah. a little different. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily want to send home everybody just like having a really good time because they <laughs> got those tonsils out, yeah. you know. But So, I mean, I'm teaching something that is a social, enjoyable human activity. So my, my goals are a little bit different than if I was teaching something that was highly technical. Yeah. 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 Okay. I might know the answer to the next one. It's okay. Based off Maybe I won't. You can tell me. But I think it would be cool to discuss it as well. But someone asked me this question recently. Elise May, actually. Mm-hmm. She asked me, if you had to choose between being a good artist or being a good teacher, which one would it be? I find this question a little bit confronting at times. Right? My answer seems to change every month. But what... what yeah, it kind of depends. I mean, yeah. uh, as far as making a living, I need to be a better teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm just going to be dancing by myself for the rest of my life in the closet, I want to be a good artist. Right. So yeah. it kind of depends. There's my personal goal not having anything to do with another human mm-hmm. or, or a community just for myself. Yeah. I would like to be the artist, but when I bring other humans into it, a community, whether it's yeah. students or partners or stuff like that, then I think the teaching is important. So I yes. couldn't, I, if you gave me a magic one and said pick one, I'm not sure which one I would pick. Okay. But also, would you say you could argue that teaching is also in itself a separate Oh, part, yeah. You know, because oh, absolutely, because there's some people yeah. who are really great dancers who teach me. Not so good. You know, I mean, there's people yeah. who are great dancers. I love watching them dance, but their teaching isn't very good. They're, they really uh, will say they will say or communicate to the students, this is what I'm doing. And it's not really what they're doing. It's yeah. their understanding of what they're doing, but mm-hmm. they're wrong. Um, and so being a good dancer does not mean you're a good teacher. No. And being a great teacher does not mean you're a good dancer. There's some people no. who are really great teachers who can't dance a lick. No. I mean, they're, they're not very good dancers. I guess... Um I guess maybe it comes back to this definition of what you deem an artist and what you deem <coughs> creative, maybe? Like yeah, or, or an artist and a technician. So Right. Yeah. Like someone in a, one of the past interviews is like, there's a difference between being an artist and there's a difference between being creative. And sometimes I think those are right. two are intertwined. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you can be creative when you're teaching. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. And I, you know, so I'll be saying my little spiel that I always say, and I notice that the outcome that I'm getting isn't what I wanted. So that means I have to come up with some, another approach. It's essentially problem solving. Yeah. Right, yeah. and that and that's a creative aspect for me. Yes. You know, when we first started teaching Balboa, we would, you know, say the same words that the teachers told us, mm. and then uh, six eight months later, I would notice everyone's doing it differently, yeah. and I didn't teach them that. I said blah blah blah, and they're doing not blah blah blah. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was. Um, a move where it was just a twisting move and people started kicking. Um, or on the basic, it was just a, like a foot pulse that kind of drug on the, on the ground and they would kick. And um, Maxie Dorf, who was the guy who we were learning from, he just yelled at me. He said, quit teaching people to kick. And there's no kicking. I go, I'm not teaching the kick. I'm teaching this. He goes, you're the only human on the planet who's teaching this. It's your fault. 
Even though you may not be telling them to kick, that's what they're doing. Fix it. Fix it. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I get it. I'm responsible for how they interpret what I do, whether I can tell them correctly and they can misinterpret or do something else yes. with it. I'm still responsible for what, what the outcome of what they're doing. You have to reinterpret what they've interpreted. Right. So yeah. then I had to, so we changed how we taught things and we changed the way we approach things and, mm-hmm. and put that move later on in the, in the thing so that they'd stopped kicking. You know, so you, yeah. so uh, when I'm teaching a dance, when I'm teaching dancing, I watch and see this is what the information is, and then I see how they what comes out six months, eight months later. Mm-hmm. And if it's what I wanted, great. And if it's not what I want, then I just have to start to modify yeah. what we're doing. And then we have the same thing on a short goal of every 20 minutes in class, you know, if they're just not getting it, we'll either change the move or we'll go on to another move or we'll get more technical depending on what the problem was. And you have to, and each class is very different, yeah. right? And you have every, to be very, every, unanticipated. every hour we have an idea of what we're going to do. Like when I was working this weekend with Nick, we have an idea of what we're going to teach in class. And sometimes we did it, and sometimes we completely changed the idea of what we were going to do and how we were going to do it in the middle of class to modify it for the mm. people who are in the room. So, well, there's teaching, and then you have many other array of things that you do as well. Do you feel you have any tools or practices or mindsets even that potentially help you be more creative with any of those arenas, whether it be teaching. Well, for da- well teaching, I just keep doing it. You know, see what yeah. comes in. I mean, you get an immediate feedback when you're teaching. Mm-hmm. And aside from the long-term feedback, you get immediate feedback. People are yeah. smiling and they're getting it, or they're starting to get frustrated and leave the room. I mean, so sort I of fix that. Right. Um, as far as creativity and dancing. Um, that's really difficult. That's a difficult thing. But Maxie Dorf, who's the guy that we learned most of our bell, most of my bell from, had a a really interesting way of of trying to get me to be more musical, mm-hmm. and that wasn't in, to get out of my head. So he would give me a. Um, He'd say, okay, you can just do these two moves, you know, in bell You can nice. do yeah. you can do a basic and a come around. That's all you can do. You can dance this whole dance by yourself. Just do basics and come arounds, and then we're going to put on a different piece of music that's about the same speed, and you can just do basics and come arounds and show me that it's a different piece of music. Yes. And about the yeah. about it took about 20 or 30 times of doing that before there was any freaking difference. I mean, I I thought pretty good, huh? And then we look at the tape and you go, what's the difference? I go, well, it felt different. He goes, yeah, well, that's not good enough just because it's in your <laughs> it's in your mind. You got to share that with the rest of the world. I'm like, oh, okay. So it just so that was a, something that he had given me that that I use a lot is to is to try. It's in dancing the the musicality and the creativity is not always choice of movement. Like I'm going to do a swing out here. I'm going to do an aerial here. I'm going to do a kicky move here. It's whatever movement you're in the middle of. When you hear something in the music, react to the music within that context, mm-hmm. which is a different way of thinking about creativity because most people think about creativity as a choice beforehand instead yes. of a, instead of a modification of the moment. Does that kind of make sense? Yes, no, that makes sense. And also in the sense that you're also doing it to share, like you were saying. Right. Rather than, yes, you feel it. Right. If you want to share it, that's a Yeah, because I can feel itself. it, but nobody else knows about it. And there's no. No, if I'm in a room by myself, I don't care... If if anybody knows this or not, but if I'm, there's humans around that I'm trying to share, and whether that's teaching or dancing or performing. Mm, Beautiful. So in terms of coming back to, say, performing and being creative, and in the sense also sharing and accommodating for the audience that you might be performing for, it can be quite a tricky balance because there's things that potentially you want to do, but you also want the audience to experience what right. you want to say. And swing dance, I guess, in this sense, is also so embedded in rich cultural roots and history and, um, you know, sense right. of practice and philosophy. How do you balance being true to the roots but also being mindful of, say, sharing and dancing for the audience that you might be dancing for, creating Right. For. I mean, part of it is that um, there's always a balancing act there. It's never going to be 100% one or the other. No. Um, I'm always, my, my, my general approach to for dancing is to have anything that's creative always stem from the same root, the same parent plant. Mm-hmm. So... Um, like in Balboa, um, 
you can do almost any movement you want, but it's, uh, you know, like um, just doing an underarm turn doesn't mean it's Balboa or Lindy Hop or Waltz or Hambo or, or Cha-Cha or Salsa. Mm. All of those have underarm turns. That's true. But it's how you do it that matters. So I try to figure out what is the essence of this dance that's not of other dances. What makes this dance completely different? Like what's the mm. root thingies? Now, other dances may have an aspect. It's not like only this dance has this, but only this dance has these ten things. Other dances have... That define it. That define this dance. Yeah. So trying to figure out what makes Balboa Balboa or what makes Bal Swing Bal Swing and not Lindy Hop. It's not the it's not the figure, it's how you execute the figure that makes a dance a dance. It's not the similarities, it's almost the contrast. Right. Yeah. And and so there's a flavor and, and then you have like you take the ten best people who do it back in the old days and you're gonna have ten different ways to do that. So it's not a it's not a set technique, it's not a codified technique like in ballroom. Mm-hmm. So it's not a set figure that you do in this way commence to turn on one da 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 da. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's there's but if you look at uh, thinking about Lindy Hop, if you look at Frankie Manning, Al Mins, Dean Collins, um, George Lloyd, they all dance really, really different, and they're all really, really good. good. Yeah. And you can all recognize that they come from the same planet. Mm-hmm. And so trying to figure out what's the similarities between these people. You so you take the very best, in your opinion, very best people who are doing the skill, whatever mm-hmm. the skill is, and then try to figure out what what is not different between each one of them, but what's the same between them, because that's going to be what's going to be more towards focusing towards the heart of the of the of, of the dance or the you know whatever it is you're trying to teach. I see. Does that making sense? Yeah, no, that makes right. sense. Right. So so I try to figure out. So then when you're trying to be creative, there's five dancers you really like, and they're mm-hmm. back in the old days. So they all look different. So they all would come up with different things. Um, if they were alive today, they probably wouldn't do just those five things that each of them. They would do something else because for a dance or an art form to be alive, it has to be within the time it is. So it's not 1935. So the influences on Lindy Hop or Balboa are different now than they were in 1935. Mm-hmm. If Frankie was alive today and, and creating today, he would create different things than he created when he did them back in 1935 or 40. Same thing with any really great dancer. The culture's different. The music's different. The cultural, the musical influences are different. I mean, there was no, you know, hip hoppy stuff and stuff, but that has influenced our our culture. The race race relations are really different now. The gender stuff is really different now. So. That's going to have an influence on the dance. The dance it could either be um, something that's just a recreation, like a minuet, you yes. know, some kind of like little thing you just go through. It's not really, a, it's a dead dance that you're just miming through. Yeah. Or it can be a dance that lives. A dance that lives has to be in the in the time it's being done. So we try to make Lindy Hop something that is influenced by the politics and the culture and the other music of the day, mm-hmm. but still be recognizable as Lindy Hop. So if Frankie Manning or Al Mins came and looked at it, they go, wow, this is really different, but these guys, are, this is interesting, Lindy Hop. They'd recognize it as the dance floor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, this is going to sound like I'm being snotty, and I don't intend to be pejorative with this. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a dance called West Coast Swing, which used to be a dance, uh, at least in the U.S., that swung. It looked, it looked like it was part of the same umbrella of overall swing, swing dances. Um, it wasn't Lindy Hop by any means, but it, you, it looked like it was with from the same general parent plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the last 10 or 15 years, West Coast Swing has evolved to be a really different dance. It's much more difficult to do. It's more highly evolved. It's not a worse dance. It just has evolved outside of a swing dance. It's now become much more of a, of a lyrical or a ballroom rhythm type of dance. Right. It doesn't look like it belongs to swing dancing anymore. Even mm-hmm. though the name is West Coast Swing, it has evolved off of the roots, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing necessarily. I mean, it's a much more, it's a much trickier dance and a much more rich dance than it used to be. Mm-hmm. But it's no longer a swing dance in in the way that. Lindy Hop or Balboa or 
it's morphed into its own space. It's morphed into its own space. So, and that's not a bad thing. It no. just is different. Yeah. So, I, um, my position in the in the community that I'm in, um, I'm not the most creative person in the world. Um, plus, I have a position of having learned from the original people. Yeah. And I take my responsibility as taking what they handed to me and handing it to the next generation. Mm. So partly it's because of when my temporal place in the community is, is that I'm a bridge between the past and the future. And I need to, to help preserve the dances, hand over the essences that I see that were handed to me to the next generation who are going to be creative, and hopefully they will take that essence so that when they create new things in 20, 30 years, it will still be the same dance recognizable from the old oldsters if they, you know, showed up accidentally on boom, 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 yes. that they would they would see it as a different thing. They're like, wow, that's really different, but they would still recognize it as the same general thing. And so that's, uh, I see that as my position in the community, at least in dancing. So finding the essence is more important to me Mm. than it need be for some other people just because I feel like like for Balboa I mean nobody was nobody it was a dying dance and I wanted to save it and all the people who helped me learn it mm. said this is the important part for us it's not what it looks like it's what it feels like this dance is a feeling dance it's not a dance like Lindy Hop that you're going to impress somebody across the room with the feeling is the essence of this dance for us so that's what I try to pass on when I'm teaching Bamboo. When I'm teaching Lindy Hop, it's different because it's a different yes. thing. Is it kind of like what you were describing and talking about before when you with all the great dancers where they all dance differently, but it's again picking up on those similarities as right, well. Right, like what makes it that dance? Yeah, so would you say the similarities are not necessarily in a, a physical construct? of what's being presented, but more in the essence? Of yeah, in essence, and it, like Lindy Hop, there's a good feeling, you want a good feeling, yeah. but there's also um, an interest for, it, it was a dance that had more of a performance aspect to it, right. as well as a social aspect. It wasn't just performance, but yeah. that Balboa never had a performance aspect. It wasn't a dance that anybody would watch. Mm. It was a dance that, the magic in Lindy Hop is, have joy of moving um, with the music and your partner. Mm. Um, Balboa has the same thing, but it's a it's a more intimate dance, yes. not sexual or anything, but it's more intimate. Yes. It's a secret between you and your partner and the music. Right. Uh, Lindy Hop is more uh, public, so you can kind of see what's going on. Yes. Yeah, you know that if right. one's more right. and one isn't than better the than the other. And I'm just no. using this in, in the sense just because that's the, you know, I'm not a I'm not a painter. <laughs> So I'm sure that that's some, when I'm talking about how I focus on something and what I deem important and for passing things on and what I deem important for a base on which to be creative from, mm -hmm. it's coming from that from that desire to make sure that I always stay within the root of the of the exercise or of the art form. That's right. Well, um, it's again that thing about creating or being mindful of the audience yes. as well, like you're being honest to the roots. But uh -huh. It's, it's like Balboa, your audience is your partner. Yeah. and Only. And being artistic can sometimes be a little bit more about the ego. Yeah. Where, you know, just because you're being artistic for whatever reasons, doing moves or right. fancy things that haven't been done, innovation for innovation's right. sake sort of thing, you're not actually taking the essence into account right. and drawing say the past as right. well as drawing new audiences into something yeah. that has existed for decades. Right, because yeah. we really want, uh, like in the dances that I do, Lindy Hop and Bambo, I really want them to exist yeah. and be live dances, but still be those dances and That's not right. become yeah. another dance that we should name differently. You know, I no, would love no. Lindy Hop. I mean, I gotta say, if you watch Sky uh, Humphreys dance, if you watch him dance, it's really different than anything that, I mean, you know, it's really different than what was going on, but it's still the same dance, and it still has the same the same joy and, and purpose. Mm -hmm. um, it's still representing the jazz music, even though it looks really different, but, and that's great, because it's a live dance today. Yes. He's, he's not just recreating the same old exact steps that, you know that were done in in the in the 30s and it's, 40s. It's a tricky balance. Right. So, in terms of how it used to be, perhaps when you when you first started dancing, 
do you think the process of creating something, putting together something, whether it be a piece of choreography or event or anything really, is very different now to how it was when you first started? Well, I'm better at it now. <laughs> so in terms of a culture, there hasn't, you don't think there has been a different... Mm, I, I don't think so. I think that no. probably trying to create something that was interesting in 1928 is going to be about the same as trying to create something in 1990 yeah. or 2040. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. creating something, creating something, and you're always going to be of your time and of your place. True. Yeah, True. so probably not so much... What it is you come up with will be different, but I think the process is going to be similar. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Something that a lot of us can struggle with when we make something that we love our job is staying connected to why we love it, especially yeah. the longer we do it, the more the grind we get into it, yeah. the routine, etc. What helps you stay connected and remind yourself? of why you love what you do. Well, I think everybody gets burned out sometimes. Yes. I don't yeah. think that there's a way that you can't get burnt out if you do it for long enough. Um, so, I mean, there's times when I get burnt out. And so when I get burned out, I try to focus on one or another aspect and let and let part of it, it's there. Brazil's like, let's say I'm just really burnt out on teaching and dancing. I'm just like burnt out. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of just taken six months off which I couldn't do I uh, would either concentrate more on I'm just going to keep teaching but I'm really going to like work on some aspect of dancing for myself or I'm going to let the dancing just kind of muddle on I'll just keep social dancing but it's not my big joy and really work on on being a better teacher Mm -hmm. so I kind of let not let it slide but I just concentrate more uh, directly on one a smaller aspect and try to and try to think about this so that this can rest over here. So the change part that I'm focus. not change my focus. So mm-hmm. if I'm not focusing on all of it, I'm then the part that I'm not focusing on it gets gets to breathe, and then I can usually in you know three or four months find that it can be fun again. And it um, gives you more momentum and a sense of satisfaction and reward that you've kind of addressed and completed one thing. Right. You know, and then you right. you get a little bit more of um, I don't know oomph. To yeah. come back to something that was possibly driving you nuts. <laughs> right, and yeah. and I think that I don't think there's anybody who's creative or even just anybody who does an activity yeah. that doesn't get burnt out on it. Sometimes you just it's like right. you you know sometimes it's not that I dislike it. It's just that I'm 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 there's nothing in the well. I'm I'm going through the motions. I'm there. I I want to be good, but there's I'm not bringing anything to the game. And so instead of just giving up, I just kind of go, well, I'm just going to keep dancing and something will show up eventually. And then sometimes a week later, I've got something. And sometimes six months later yeah. before I get something. But if you just don't give up, you'll you'll find it. Yeah. Do you think it's also a little bit of checking yourself at times and going, am I just doing it for the sake of doing it? Correct. Or am I connected with, with, the, with the am I feeling walk, like yeah. I'm contributing? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's also physically, you know, if I'm physically tired or not a lot. So when I'm really, really tired, if I've been on the road a lot, I can find out that um, I don't have a lot of oomph for dancing, but I have still a lot of oomph for teaching. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the dancing will be a little less exciting, you know. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're all limited. That's right. And I only have so much energy. And I used Mm -hmm. to freak out about, oh, my God, I don't really want to dance anymore. But I gotta go. Well, as soon as I'm not tired anymore, I want to dance. Yes. I'm just tired. Yeah, just yeah. tired. You just need a break. Right. I'd like to talk a little bit about failure moments as well, sure. because they can be great learning opportunities. But when you're in it, they can feel like a crap. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you recall any moments where you felt like you sucked at something? Or oh, most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, so really it might be like 30 years ago. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'd say every, almost, uh, you know, uh, almost every dance I do, every, you know, like, hey, you want to dance? Sure. So we have a tune here. Yeah. I'll probably fail four or five times within that dance. I will mess up. I, I will have an idea about like, hey, oh, well, that was stupid. Yeah. Um, I'll bump into somebody. I mean, I mess up all the time. And the point is, is that this is the way it goes. I, if it's a big mess up, I try not to freak out when I mess up. I just try to make new and improved mess ups. Mm-hmm. So if you really fail, try not to fail in the same thing next time. Try to fail in a new and improved way. 
You know, so my mistakes are always new mistakes. Or I mean, sometimes it's the same old mistake that I'm still working on. But but I don't mind making mistakes. I just kind of get depressed when I make the same mistake for, you know, like five weeks in a row. I'm like in the same freaking mistake. I'm like, I got to get... I got to get good at this so I make a new mistake. Because mm-hmm. every time you make a new mistake, you're going to learn a new thing from it, you know. So I don't mind making mistakes. I just try to make new and improved mistakes. Does that make like, sense? It's like creating uh, incremental learning experiences. Right, and you're never going to be perfect. So no, no. <laughs> as long as you're as long as you're making brand new mistakes, you're learning something new. You're growing. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying they're they're lesser mistakes. Sometimes they're bigger mistakes. Sometimes you finally get to a point where you can make a really big mistake because now you're good enough to make a really big mistake and before you weren't even good enough to do that big mistake. That's true. But instead of like giving up, just going to go, hey, new improved mistake, I'll fix this and then yeah. I'll wiggle around for the next big mistake. I'm that's coming. in my mistakes. And my mistakes <laughs> and, and I'm never going to stop making mistakes. I mean, and all I do is like when I watch myself dance, all I, if I see myself on video, all I do is see mistakes. I mean, I'm just horrified. I can't watch myself oh, really dance because I'm just like, all, oh. all I see is the mistakes. I go, Ah, I dance like poop on I feel so reassured hearing that because sometimes it takes me like three, four <coughs> months to go back and watch a video. I know, and then I look at it, and I, I know that I'm gonna hate it. it you know, as I never like look at it and go, oh, that looks pretty good. I, I kind of go like, oh, well, it's not as embarrassing as I thought it was. I mean, that's the only. So I don't like watching myself because I just don't like watching myself. And the first time you watch it, it feels worse. And then you watch it again two months later, and you're like, actually, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> yeah, and I just tried, I just learned early on that the less I watch myself, the better to a point, because all I see is mistakes. But I do need to watch myself enough to fix stuff. That's true. Because if I never yeah. look at myself, I kind of go like, wow, I'm taking a really big step there, and I'm, I didn't realize I was doing that, you know? Yeah. So. Actually, what about the sense of comparison as well um, when it comes to feeling a sense of failure because you know they say comparison is a thief of joy but you just can't help falling into that space where you you're measuring yourself against it's someone other, else some who are better than you are yeah yeah even if they're they're in a different part of their journey oh well, yeah you know? well yeah and plus it's hard because i see like you know you mentioned like elise or or naomi or frida yeah. And I go like, I can never dance as good as they do, you know. But then again, they're not 67 years old, you know. So <laughs> I try to, It it's very discouraging for me to try to look at the people who's dancing I really like mm-hmm. and realize that I'll never be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So that gets a discouraging thing. But I can be better than I am. So I try to remember, like, my goal isn't to dance as good as Frida. My goal is to dance better than I do now. And so... Uh, if I, I realize that comparison, comparing myself to other people is going to be a losing proposition no matter what. Mm-hmm. There's no way I could be anywhere near as good as they are. But I can be better than I am. And so my, my goal is, is I have a much uh, shorter little goal thing of just be better than I was last year. Mm-hmm. You're and, focusing on your own progress rather right, than... Right, and it can be maybe maybe it's not as interesting looking, maybe it's not as creative, but the connection's better or the smoothness is better. or It doesn't have to be... Uh, a vague thing. It can be a specific, a specific aspect that's getting better, and then I feel okay. Mm. I'm not. It's not like yeah, yeah, I aced it, but at least I keep going. <laughs> yeah, you get, you can experience the feeling of <clears throat> right. getting better. Yeah. Right, and it can be, it can be, I'm more creative, or it can be, I'm smoother, or it can be, I can dance better with a really beginning leader who's trying to rip my arm off. Sometimes you, sometimes it's not in a in a in an artistic uh, presentation kind of way, like you know, watching me dance is more enjoyable. But maybe it's maybe enduring a dance is, is more possible, and that counts to me as, as at least it's growth. What about from because you judge a lot of competitions? Yep, right. It's a problem for um, me, and that's uh, quite a rough space. Yes, to be in when it comes to looking at comparison and from a Right. healthy perspective right um, and because it, it's so easy to just focus on what didn't work than what was right. working always and not seeking validation from placements right it's difficult right yeah. you know I mean I learned early on that that um, what lives as far as a performance what what your legacy is when you put a, a something on the floor isn't where you place mm-hmm. it's what you put on the floor yes. because 
Uh, maybe you're in a contest, then you come in fifth. But it was a really interesting thing you did. And in three years from now, people aren't going to only watch whoever came in first. They're going to watch you because it was interesting. Mm. So if you look at uh, pe what people remember about a contest or what people go back to restudy from a contest now that we have all this YouTube yes. stuff, is, is not always, you don't just look up who won the contest. You look up what you found interesting. So your legacy isn't your placement. Your legacy is what you put on the floor. I have control over what I put on the floor. I don't have control over what the judges think of me or who else is dancing and how, how I compare to somebody else. I have control over this is what I want to put on the floor. Now, I may do it better or worse, depending yeah. on the day. But So I try to, to have people concentrate on what, what is it that you would like to, to have shown? If you're trying to put a choreography together, some people put choreography together specifically to win. So they they have a formula that they put together that, you know, and then some people go, I know I'm not going to win, but this is what I was interested in doing. I was interested in doing this kind of movement mm -hmm. or this kind of feeling, and I knew it wasn't going to win, but this is what I wanted to grow that with. That was the goal. And the yeah. goal isn't to win. The goal is, like, this is something I want to work on. Yeah. And those are the people who are going to be longer lived, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, who are going to get further than the people who just figure out the formula for winning, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. They're also going to have... Uh, their creative process is gonna is gonna grow and be much uh, a much deeper experience than just kind of figuring out the mechanics of of a progression. People forget placements as well, but they they right. can still remember. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. You know, the there was a it was a long long time ago. Um, it was a couple named um, Justin and Jen who had done this really fun dance. Um, they got disqualified for a really stupid rule. Yeah. But And she was horrified because she was like, but we danced so good. And I said, no one's going to remember the fact you were disqualified, but everyone's going to remember that dance. And she was like, oh, my room, you know, so bad. And like six months later, she said, you're right. And, and nobody remembers who wins, but they remember our dance. I said, yeah, and that's the point. You had control over your dance. You didn't have control over what happened around it. Yeah. But that's the, that's the thing. And I think it's important for people to remember what is the goal for your creative process at this point? Is it to be juried and, and get picked for a, an art show? Is it to have a placement in a contest? Or is it to grow as an artist? Neither of those are the right or the wrong reason. Mm. But if you are looking to be a better dancer, be a better dancer. Don't mm. look at coming in first place. Yes. If you need, if you're beginning in your career and you have the feeling that I need to have some wins, I need to have some placements, well then put a routine together that's that's kind of going to shoot for the fancy stuff. doesn't mean you're going to be the best dancer. No. But if, if, if your goal is to win, that's a different goal than it is to dance well. And people conflate the two, I think. They think that whoever's the best dancer wins, mm. or whoever wins is the best dancer. And that's not true. Those well, are two separate things. Well, also... Um, they can be the same thing, but they, they're not often not. I guess when you don't win, <coughs> that can feel sucky at, at some point. But also when you do win, say if you do win and you do do well, that can also be a crippling experience where all of a sudden now... You have you an expectation. Set, you, yeah. have, you set yourself an expectation and your level of risk for being creative or presenting yourself right. and putting yourself out there becomes more vulnerable. Right, and then you, have to, then you, you find that the walls actually close in on you. The opposite ex uh, spectrum of that is how would you get out of that moment of going, okay, I did really well, but now what? Right. What you have to do is just realize that if you want to just keep winning, you're going to get smaller and smaller. Mm. You know, And then what happens is in three years later, the, the fad changes or the taste change, and all of a sudden you're not winning anyway, even though you're doing exactly the same, same thing. thing. So. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, things come in waves and they, they're, they're hot mm -hmm. and da, 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 and then they go away. So like in dancing, you know, for a while, um, it was footwork and then all of a sudden it was trad jazz and that was an effect that, you know, so the musical th tastes change the, whether you're doing, uh, more solo jazzy movements yes. or whether you're doing, you know, it all, it comes and goes, you know, and yeah. so you have to keep abreast of what the current thing is if you want to keep winning. And coming back to your own progress. Right. And yeah. the point is you have no control. You have zero control over where you place. You only have control over what you do. Yeah. 
Yes. And so I think that um, at first, when you're first starting out, people are much more concerned with trying to win. Like, I'm never winning. I work really hard, and I should be able to win something. Mm-hmm. I go, you may never win something, but you can be a, you're getting to be a better dancer. Yes. You know? It's, um, I think, I can't remember who says it. I think it's like Brennan Brown or something, but she gives a similar advice. It's like to detach yourself from compliment as well as criticism. Absolutely. Yeah, because both can be... No, horrible. Can stop I, you from I, uh, I don't believe my... It's, like, it's really horrible when you start to believe your, your PR because you're nowhere near as good as your PR, you know? Um, at home, in my home scene, people don't really know than anybody knows me outside my scene. Mm. I'm just this old lady who teaches at the local <laughs> at the local rec center ballroom. They have no concept that anybody's ever heard of me. Every once in a while, someone goes, I was someplace they heard of you. I go, wow, they heard of me? Wow, that must be weird. And they don't, I, I don't tell them, like, I'm flying here, I'm flying there. Yes. I don't, I'm just this nice old lady who teaches at the local, at the local rec center ballroom. And that keeps me from, you know, because you're, ta- you're, you're treated like a rock star on the road, and you start to believe that stuff, you're in trouble. You know, first off, it's not true. Mm. You know, I mean, I I realize that, that I'm not here because I'm good. I'm here because a lot of people are giving up their time and energy to create an event. Mm. You know, the, the volunteers for this weekend are the people who should get all the credit. You know, um, I'm happy to share what I know, but um, nobody, nobody is, I mean, the rock star thing is a bunch of bullshit. It just is a bunch of crap. And the more you believe your place in the hierarchy, uh, the more that you should just go away. (laughs) Just Just go away. Leave (laughs) us alone. You know, the point is, is dancing and being creative and, and having joy and sharing it more than, you know, I deserve a limousine of my own. Following on from this um, this idea of comparison and focusing on your own progress, what advice would you give to anyone trying to really own and be confident in their own process? Well, it's it's trial and error, too. I mean, you're going to try things, and they work. And then you're going to go, oh, that's it. And you're going to keep doing it, and then it stops working. He's like, well, shoot, what? And so you got to just, when it stops working, you got to keep trying things until you find something else that works. And sometimes your creative process will, like how you do it or what your, what's actually going to work will be different depending on where you are in your process, where you are in your life, what else is going on in your life, what's going on around you, mm. you know, the community in which you are doing the process in. So sometimes uh, what works doesn't work. What works working for me now may not work in, in a year from now. And if it stops working, I'll just have to keep trying stuff until I find something else that starts to work. Mm. So it's the fact that the only time you won't get better is when you give up. You stop trying. When you start trying. And yeah. sometimes you try and try and try and nothing seems to be working. You just keep trying. Eventually something will hit or yeah. or, or something will shift and you'll accidentally come across something. And then yeah. that's the one little thing you can grab onto for a while. It's kind of holding on to trying without really knowing what the outcome right. is going to and, be. And you yeah. want to be efficient. You're, you're, as humans, we want to say like, well, I want to know what the formula is so that I can give 10%. I can give 10 units and I get 10 units of, of of back, you know, back from it. You know, mm. I'm going to do this amount of exercise and I'm going to get this plus out of it. Yeah. Well, you don't get to. You just have to keep giving out the exercise mm. and giving out the units and keep trying and trying with no guarantee that you're going to get anything back. You just have to hope for the best. <laughs> right, because if you stop, you won't get it. But it's you can't you can't figure out what the formula is for I put this effort in and I get this prize at the end. Right. You just have to say... The process of putting in the effort is worth it in and of itself, even though it doesn't seem like it. When you get a prize for it, great. That's an extra added thing. Um, If you always want to go for, I put in this effort and I get a prize, you're going to be sorely disappointed because you're not going to get that prize that often. The prize needs to be, I'm putting in the effort and I'm not giving up. You need to find satisfaction and reward in that. Yeah, yeah. you need to have more joy or uh, a fulfillment from the process than from a particular goal or outcome because you'll always be disappointed. What is your advice, similarly, on developing your own creative voice or personality in that sense? I don't know. I just, I don't really know that I even have a creative voice or personality. I just... 
kind of just keep plugging away at it. It's, it's almost like maybe not trying to have one. For the sake well, of having you have to. You you kind of have to. I mean, when you're learning something or you're trying to get from point A to point B, it's like if you were trying to figure out what your clothing style was. Yes. You can't just like, here it is. This yeah. is my clothing style. You have to try on a bunch of stuff. You try this on. You think, oh, I like what that lady's wearing. I'll try this on. Oh, I like that guy's shirt. I'll try that on. You kind of go like, oh, I like this shirt, but it doesn't look good on me. Look good on him. Looks like shit on me. All right. I like uh, this lady's hairstyle. I will try to do my hairstyle like that. Nope, doesn't look good on me. Look good on her. So you're just going to keep trying other people's stuff on until you find what fits you. Go, oh, it looks good on me. I'll keep this, you know. And then this looks good on me. And so... You have bits and pieces, and then you so you have the hairstyle that worked good that worked well on you, and then you you change it slightly because you didn't have a flower, you had a bird, and so you stuck a bird in there instead of a flower on there, and people went like, oh cool, and so you 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 know start to accidentally modify the things that worked. You you took somebody else's things, you you mm. you know took their idea, or you took their way of swinging out, or you took their their style of dress, or you took the way that they season their food. And you you um, copy it, and then slow you make it your own. And so over the years of trying on other people's stuff, you end up uh, finding your own voice or your own creativity, whether it's a dress style or a design style or how you make food or how you walk or talk or any of those things. Because we, no one immediately knows what they want. No, right? and and what you and what your style it will, it will change. Yes. You know, like what your voice is will change. You know, um, and if it stays the same, then you kind of aren't really, you're just a has-been. I've also heard from a lot of people that no matter how long you might be dancing for um, or practicing whatever you do from in a performance world, um, that you can still experience some form of stage fright or performance anxiety. I'm pretty sure that there's almost... Everybody. (laughs) I've not met anybody who goes like, oh, piece of cake. They may say that, but it's not happening. If you took their pulse beforehand, it's going to be different. So you still experience that for yourself? I'm terrified. Every single day. I'm terrified. My local classes in Santa Barbara, which is the least stressful thing I do, <laughs> I usually feel like throwing up. I'm driving and I'm parking in a little parking lot, and I feel, oh, God, I don't want to do this. They're going to hate me. What am I going to do? I feel like I'm going to throw up before every freaking class. And then I kind of just, but you got to go in there and you go and you start and then you kind of get in the rhythm and then it's okay. Um, so I think that that anxiety is, is never leaves any of us if you care. If you, if you don't really care, you probably won't have any anxiety. But if you care about yeah. how the class goes or you care about how the performance goes or you care how the performance is received, mm. you'll, be, you'll, you'll have that stage fright or that anxiety. If you don't care, then you might not, but I don't know anybody who's going to continue doing it when they don't care. That's true. Good point. Yeah. Very, very good point. You've been doing what you do for a very, very long time yeah. now. What do you think in this whole journey that you've experienced so far has helped you develop more courage as you've gone along? Well, the fact that I'm still here, I know that sounds dumb, I don't mean still alive on the planet, but that I still have a place in the community. Um, Somehow I always figured like I'd have, you know, like, you know, five years and then be there and gone, you know, and and I'm still here. So um, I realized that even when I have lost faith in myself that the community hasn't, that there is something that I actually have to offer, even though I've lost sight of it perhaps, that keeps me kind of hanging around. What are the most important lessons that your journey has taught you so far in that same respect? Yeah, in that I'm more of a, of a conduit than, um, uh, you know, I don't look, I look at myself more as a conduit from taking from what was given to me and passing it on yeah. than I'm hot shit and pay attention to me. You know, it's like yeah. I, don't, I don't really see myself as... as um, as a force to be reckoned with in and of myself, but people gave me something and I'm passing that on. But in that sense, because those people are gone, my importance to the community is the fact that I did know these people. I have direct responsibility or direct access to the, I talked to them, I danced with them for years. And to try to help them stay alive within the community, even though their bodies are gone, they're gone. But to try to pass that on to other people is something that I think that um, not everybody 
is privileged in that position. I find myself privileged in that position, and I don't take that lightly. So that kind of is my focus is a little different now than it was maybe 30 years ago. I know be kind to people really goes a long way. Not taking yourself too seriously and realizing that the the people that you're teaching or the people you're performing for are more important than how you're experiencing it. Their experience is more important than my experience uh, for that moment if I want to stay here as a as a force in the community. Yes. Yeah. And in kindness, I think that most people need to be way kinder to each other than they are. I think that, uh, and I don't mean put up with bullshit or be a, a, a shrinking violet or be passive. I'm not saying that, but just to be kind. I'm clear about what I need, and I'm clear about who I am. But I try to be kind, and I think that just sounds really kind of lame, but I think that kindness is part of what's lacking in the world at these days. And in a lot of communities, we have cliques of, like, the very best dancers, you know, don't necessarily dance with, like, oh, no, I, I don't dance with them. They're, they're not good enough. You know, that, that kindness goes a long way to to make a community whole and vibrant. Beautiful. I'd like to finish off with a quote. Okay. Which is, creativity is allowing yourself to make mistakes. Art is knowing which ones to keep. Correct. I agree with that completely. <laughs> Do you have any other thoughts on that? And the thing is, is that the more mistakes you make, the more good ones there will be to keep. So if you just want to, like, I only want to make two mistakes and then have one good one to keep, you're not going to have a very good one. If you make a 1,000 mistakes, you're going to have 15 or 20 that are going to be really good. So the more mistakes you make, the more golden flowers and the more beautiful things that you can pick to keep. Beautiful. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a great So that's go out there and mess up as much as you can. That's a great way to finish up. Thank you. So that's it for this episode of Curiously Creative. We hope it has sparked a little, or a lot, of creativity and curiosity in you. Curiously Creative is a production by Curiously Creative. Who would have thought? So if you'd like to know our comings and goings and check out some more inspiring content, head on over to curiouslycreative.co.nz. Until the next episode, with lots of love and a massive splash of joy, Akriti, your creative curiosity advocate. Oh, and if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a comment on iTunes, as it helps more people find these conversations.